Welcome to Image Talks Fertility, an image first podcast where we deep dive into all things fertility, brought to you in partnership with Porterstone Clinic. This episode, we'll be discussing pregnancy through sperm donor with our lovely guest, Cloda. And then we have on expert nurse, Mary McAuliffe to answer your fertility questions. Mary is the head of clinical services at Waterstone Clinic, a general nurse and a midwife. She's also a founding member of the fertility specialist nursing team at Waterstone Clinic. Family-owned and operated, Waterstone Clinic is a leader in fertility excellence with two decades of reproductive medicine experience. Waterstone Clinic has built a family of five clinics in Dublin, Cork, Kildare, Limerick and Waterford. The clinic uses pioneering fertility science, making even the most advanced fertility services available to patients in Ireland, and they are renowned for their exceptional patient care. Fertility is one of those words that encompasses so much. From IVF, egg freezing and surrogacy, to endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, and reduced ovarian reserves. It's medical, it's scientific, but it's also deeply emotional and an often private topic that can be mirrored in mystery and sometimes misunderstood entirely. It contains the highest miracle highs and the lowest heartbreaking lows. It is quite literally what makes us human. My name is Dominique McMullen and I'm Image Media's Editorial Director and mum to Kai, who's two and a half, and Freddie, who is just five months old. In this mini-series, in partnership with Waterstone Clinic, I'll be talking to women whose fertility journeys offer hope and mirror the paths that so many of you are walking. In conjunction, I'll be putting your fertility questions to the experts and hoping to guide you and provide advice for you and your family in what can be the most challenging time. Economic and demographic realities mean that we are having babies later. In 2019, the average age of mothers at maternity in Ireland was 33.1 years. That's according to the CSO. And the number of births to mothers aged 40 and over is now at 8%, and that's increasing. My lovely guest today, Clodagh O'Hagan, is one such mother, venturing into motherhood at the age of 43. But not only that, Clodagh made the decision to have a baby without a traditional partner, using instead artificial insemination and a sperm donor. Despite being given just a 2 to 5% chance of becoming pregnant, she defied the odds and is mum now to gorgeous Frank, who is already a toddler. The pair of them are flourishing and are truly an inspiration to any women considering venturing down this path. So welcome, Clodagh, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for such a lovely intro. I'm like, oh my God, is that us? <laughs> well, it's true. He's particularly beautiful, baby. Oh. I just thought his beautiful blonde curls are exceptionally cute. <laughs> I, th- I think if, um, if I was able to capture the Pantone of his blondness and sell it to a hairdresser, I'd make a lot of money. You really would. Women. Yeah. Good highlights in there. Yeah, big time. It's a perfect tone. And I don't know when I'll ever cut that hair because I can't oh risk it not growing back. <laughs> no, you want those long, beautiful curls. Oh my God, forever. At what stage is he at now? I know he's a toddler. Is he, is he chatting? He's nearly two? 
he is nearly two, two is four, he's two and four months and uh, he's full of chat now and full of orders and we've been at home the last um, couple of days um, from childcare so you kind of having that chill time in the house where you hear the new expressions come out and I was watching telly yesterday and it went off for a little bit and he came out with what's the matter what's the matter <laughs> I was like what how do you know that so between that and Baba Black Sheep Howie any wall and uh, all day long for wheels on the bus uh, are his current um, best moments. He's very advanced. Oh, of course, very advanced. Of course, yeah. yeah. So is mine. Of course, I'm like I haven't a clue. It's like he's buying his head off a wall over there. That's advanced as well, isn't it? Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so take me back, Claudia. Tell me, did you always know you wanted to have a baby, or or what was kind of your twenties and thirties? Where you, did you have a ball? The 20s and 30s, I did have a ball um, and I suppose I was kind of late. We'd in and out of a couple of relationships and, um, you know, I kind of spent a lot of time probably gaining confidence in myself. And I suppose my 30s were probably really enjoyable from that perspective because I got to know myself a lot better. I was a lot happier in myself Mm -hmm. and um, kind of was looking forward to the future and I suppose I really did enjoy my 30s even more much more so rather than my 20s I suppose it was at that stage it came a bit clearer to me I did start to I was in a couple of relationships and one or two of them I had considered you know well maybe this would be the relationship that I would want a family from but that wasn't the right relationship then and I suppose from mid-30s onwards it was kind of in the back of my mind I kind of flirted with at the beginning in my mid thirties, I was like, well, I'm really looking for, I would be happy with the relationship. And, you know, if the family comes after that, you Mm. know, that's fine, but I'm really looking for that relationship for myself. And I suppose as I got later into my thirties and I hadn't met the right person, um, I suppose that kind of flipped more so. And I was that kind of, you know, that want or that need or that recognition of that within me kind of grew. Mm. And I did, I suppose, start thinking about, me and family and having kids in the future and toying with would I do it on my own and kind of thinking it as a um a backup plan and I suppose around that time when you start thinking about it um I I grew up in a single parent family so I was very very cognizant of of what I didn't want I didn't want my child to kind of um, grow up in a broken home so I was supposed I was taught Mm. an awful lot about what the right or the wrong person would be and probably was scared of making the wrong decision in terms of that person and I and I think I just and fundamentally at my core was like better to be on your own than be with the wrong person Mm. and I then carried that very much through to you know um the moment of when I decided to have a baby you know I was kind of waiting to still to meet that right person I was like well I might not meet them and so you know and I kind of a mirror was shined up to me after some routine blood tests when um, the results came back that my phosphorus was low. And I mentioned, she mentioned it wasn't an issue. And I mentioned that I had been, you know, I wasn't having a baby now, but I had hoped I would in the next couple of years. And she very much was like, oh gosh, you're 41. You know, um, you'd really want to think about that now. She's like, you know, I suppose she was right in that she was saying from when you start the process, of having a bit wanting to have a baby you know it usually takes a year and a half which it did in my case I was 43 when I had Frank and I suppose she said well if I was to wait another couple of years before making that decision you know um 
on the whim of potentially meeting someone by the time I started that process I could be 45 46 yeah by having my first baby if it did happen because as you get older obviously the chances of pregnancy decrease and I and it wasn't that it was um it was a now or never kind of conversation it was just I suppose when it was presented to me that matter of factly and really for me it was like oh god I I don't think I want to be like take that risk or would I be knackered at 45 you know and that while the decision had been kind of bubbling along and I put things in place to, you know, potentially support it as an option over the years prior, that very frank, pardon the pun, conversation was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it it was great because it helped me rip the Band-Aid off and make that decision rather than the never-never of will I meet someone and then share that kind of pressure going on a date with somebody going, hmm, are you going to be the father of my child and are we going to have the perfect life? I'd say this isn't going to exactly be a winner. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly dating kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> so that was, that's kind of a very kind of whistle-stop tour of, of how I made the decision, but it was... It and, was. and you must have gotten an awful fright when you got that, that news. Like that must have kind of come as a shock to you or were, were you kind of expecting it? Um... It wasn't, it was, it was sudden. I, I wasn't expecting to have to make such a sudden decision, but it, I suppose the baby conversation had been under the surface of my life. So kind of just about the cusp for, you know, two, three years beforehand okay. and much more that I even really would admit to myself or acknowledge to myself. So in some ways it was a relief for mm-hmm. someone to kind of push me to make the decision. But previously years and years before just as a different kind of um, checkup, I had randomly had kind of the FSH or FH, whichever um, test done. Mm-hmm. And it had come back as that my my count for whatever it was, my ovarian reserve for whatever it was, was really low. And I, it was probably five or six years beforehand, and I had kind of put my head in the sand and it kind of put me into a spiral of terror, really, I suppose, from that moment of like, I didn't really understand what the tests were. And to be honest, I was too scared at the time to look into them any further. Mm. So I so probably always had like a, a fear much greater than I let myself believe that it, I would leave it till it was too late anyway. So there was a little bit of relief of just, okay, the decision is made and I'll move forward at that moment. Now, the few months after it were very difficult in that initially I went through some tests and I, I kind of went from a doctor's and to someone in the rotunda, but they couldn't do the IVF. And again, I, if I was doing it again, I would go straight to a fertility clinic just to get the full picture in one place. Because mm. the initial initially what I was told was, you know, you have a one in 25% chance of it working. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, that is way better than I, like it was a 25% chance, whatever way you presented it, of, of it working. And I was like, that is phenomenal. Yeah. I've been working off something, you know, something much worse. And then by the time I did make it to a fertility clinic and had the test results and I gave them all of the results and had the child about it, the result was so different. It was like three to five percent or two to three percent without any treatment. And it was around Christmas time, which is a really hard time when you're single. You know, if you're you know, looking at other relationships or especially when it comes to the mental, you know, engagements, pregnancies, everything, you feel things so much worse. Yeah. So to hear that news around Christmas was really, really hard for me because at the time, Previously, I had aligned myself to, well, if it doesn't work out on the long finger, I could go down the double donor route. And, you yeah. know, that would be 
that in my mind was my kind of my backup plan and like then an owner just to be clear you mean an egg donor and an egg donor, donor. Exactly. Yeah. so you know um so that in my mind was just what kept me saying is and there's always that option mm-hmm. and then in the period of time from when I got this initial result of 25 percent success rate to this you know I was like oh like I had full visions of me and my mini me in our cost dresses and our fringes and our <laughs> walking around ruling the town and you know and I had kind of bought into that and I suppose it was really exciting because I was like oh it might just be me but it will be you know me so I bought into all that so I suppose when I got the results and it was so stark that was a, a, re, a quite quite a shock you know and it was it was really upsetting yeah and it was a dark Christmas. <laughs> I felt like it was that. It was that that year. So you got you that got was just the kind three of months later. So that was the September, August, September, from when I made the decision to the January. I was going to say. So you moved fast. I mean, you you got that phone call, and did you immediately then go into yeah. prep mode? Yeah. So it was like once the decision was made, we're all business. I was like, okay, drive on, um, and you know, I had previously and I've moved again since then I had previously been renting in houses and I'd already I used to like you know do lovely house shares and fabulous houses but I'd you know scale down and I was living in a two-bedroom house on my own because I was like if I if it all happens I'm kind of set up and everything mm-hmm. but yeah so once the decision was made that was it it was all about it then so that mm-hmm. was that was the December January and I took the time over January I suppose to kind of you know feel all the feelings and I suppose you have to put your own plan in place and I and it's great to I suppose research and figure out what the different options are and you know and the fact that the timings have been put to me you know in that like after you're 40 you know time is of the essence after that you know month on month every six months it, it can change so I made peace my plan was that I would do um follically assisted IUI a few times one or two couple of times anyway because it was relatively cheap in my mind with my own with my own everything and if that didn't work I would have gone down the double donor route because from a financial perspective I wouldn't have been able to afford or you know sacrifice IVF and then IVF again you know mm-hmm. so I don't know if I would do it the same way again but that's what I did at that time. Follically assisted explain that to me what, what exactly how are you being assisted? So it's you're being assisted. yeah you're being assisted with hormones and even though the, the percentage chance of it actually working is still quite low, I think it only brings your chances of um, working up to 7% in terms of my everything that was on the table. You're, you're, you're given hormones to, um, to make your, I suppose, the eggs as juicy as possible and in the perfect, perfect condition. Mm-hmm. And you're monitored um, and the, the release of the egg is controlled so that you that you take one hormone to, hormone to grow the eggs. And then when they're at the optimum thing, they stop, they stop it at the right size. They stop it, prevent you from releasing that egg until it's at the perfect time. And then you're given a trigger injection so they know the time it's going to be released. And then you go in to have your um, insemination, you know, 12 hours later. And, you know, I was like, nice sense because what it is is that the egg is is waiting there for when um the sperm is released so I was like there's a party in my womb they're getting together visualization <laughs> I was like well how could that not work that makes so much sense so are you are you like kind of like sitting at home with your legs in the air kind of <laughs> you just you just go in and then 
they 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 do the procedure and all the rest of it and that doesn't really take so long and then it's like just go off about your day but I did I listened to um I wish I must try and find it um a, a meditation and um, a visualization meditation that a friend sent on to me and it was just like literally for the days I was just visualizing what was happening inside me this is the time there was like it was like um look who's talking for the day. yeah the <laughs> and then, you know, and then as it went on, I was like, "Yeah, that's it. It's sticking out to the side of the womb. Feel it that yeah, I feel it. That's it. You know, every single kind of solitary thing. I kind of just, and then, yeah, yeah that's it. And that was the that was the procedure that that they gave you three to five percent chance. It was, I think, it was three to five percent chance, um, w- without any without any treatment. Follically assisted IUI went up to seven percent chance. Okay, and then, or, or was it five percent? And maybe IVF went up to seven percent. Like this, the stats it's still aren't great. They're still not great. Yeah, it's extremely low either way. Yeah, yeah. you know, they're and like, you know, again, you can only let the th- a certain amount of things in when you're going through it. You're like, okay, and I just kept thinking, you know, but it might, but it might, and yeah. sometimes it does, and yeah. it might, and I think, but the longer. The longer I have him and, you know, I'm sure there's nobody that, you know, who's trying for a baby who who isn't going through some sort of treatment, Mm. you know, and it can be very hard and it can be very long. And, you know, I just I just realized how I really did get very lucky, you know, in terms of it. And I I'm I'm so grateful anyway, and I'm so happy, but it it, it never goes um, it never gets taken for granted. Do you know what I mean? You know, I can't, I have to say. Yeah, I can't I actually can't imagine. Yeah. Skipping ahead so much. Let's go back, yeah. back, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you told your friends and family yeah. that this was the route you were going to take and, oh. you know, you were getting started straight away, what was the reaction? Were they all like, amazing? Were they like, this is crazy? Were they like, what can to I do? To be honest, they were kind of like, great you've made the decision let's drive on because they were all quite aware you know um you talked about would, it anyway yeah I wouldn't be the best at holding it in the sentiment of that. like what do you think it is so yeah I, I suppose it was it was great in that a lot of the conversation the talking that I did about it was I suppose normalizing it for myself yeah. you know so by the time I actually did make the decision I moved myself through yeah the concern about it, the embarrassment about it, what will people think, you know, everything like that. And and so I kind of already gotten there. And I think when I shared my story on my own social media channel on um, New Year's Eve, it was again part and parcel of that. It was like control the narrative. This is everything. This mm. is why I don't want to have like a million conversations about the same thing, you know what I mean, in terms of justifying or telling your story at each time. So to become the most unique thing, it's like, this yeah. is just it yeah and I'm very lucky in that my my friends and my family you know are we're all hugely supportive and just excited for me mm. you know um so it's been brilliant I have to say and I probably probably would have noticed the difference of you know maybe when I'd initially started thinking about it five years before my own comfort levels then like the journey that I'd already been on by the time I'd gotten there with it and I think the world probably had been on a sim- similar journey because it definitely felt kind of kind of like a zeitgeisty moment in time but from then yeah. you know so many more people that I know of or people who I know I know or people who contacted me saying you know 
I'm pregnant. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I can share it with my parents to help normalize it. And I still get messages. Like I still probably talk to somebody every couple of months who just, you know, wants to chew the fat who's thinking about going down that route. So amazing. I remember when you shared your story and and I, I, I actually think, you know, I really do think you impacted a lot of people with it. It was such a powerful, positive, joyful story, you know, and it was, I think it was really brave of you to share, but also I think, you know, it was such a nice thing for for you to share, you know, Um, it was lovely. And and I think you can still see genuine repercussions, I think, in society of people starting to be like, oh, it's not, it's not that strange, like whatever, you know. and, it's, and I, I'm very proud of that as well, because you can can see it. And like the journey, the years before I made the decision, it wasn't all easy, you know, like yeah. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it, took, yeah. it was a journey to get there. And if that can make someone else's decision process yeah. e- easier and maybe quicker, you know, because yeah. time does matter, you yeah. know, and the difference yeah. of a couple of years can make a big difference in terms of how difficult your treatment is or the, or the end result, mm-hmm. you know. And it really struck me what you were saying earlier about how you got those results and you put your head in the sand and you didn't want to think about it. I think so many women, so many women would be in that position in regards to their fertility that might not have anything to do with the test, but just generally, you know, they might be getting on and they just don't want to think about it, blinkers on. Um, And, you know, how much better it is to be in a situation like yours where you're taking positive moves Mm. towards an action that you want rather than like waiting for a man to come along and, yeah. and or going into a relationship that isn't right. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and, and I'm not, and it is, and it's about the options. And I suppose when, and at the time when I did do those, got those results, it didn't feel like an option. So you're paralyzed because you're like, well, what can I do about it anyway? You yeah. know, whether it was financially, it wasn't an option or where I was in my life or myself or anything like that. Yeah. And now it is great to have options and to move forward and not to miss out on an opportunity. And I'm while it's amazing and I do this so many highs that I love, you know, with it just being me and Frank, that doesn't mean that it has to be me and Frank forever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not closed to that option. I don't feel like you have to do it alone, but now anything that happens it's just from a joy bringing perspective and you know rather than panicking you know and this yeah. is which isn't fair with anybody in a relationship you know a good place yeah and did did the did the prospect of solo motherhood kind of frighten you when you first made the decision or, or how did you even prepare for that um I buried my head in the sand a lot as well <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme <laughs> well like I not that I did like I was genuine yeah I was terrified kind of in general so like um while the while the the want was in me and the need was in me I wouldn't and I'm great like visiting people's kids I didn't have experience in it like and I suppose I was terrified about you know I've gone from having a ride all the time for the last you know 10-15 years to you're kind of signing up to this this routine and the schedule and I was terrified of like what what if I hate I was like because I, I went to um uh, a therapist um as part of your treatment and they just give you the sign off and if you're kind of you know that's good ready for it do you know what I mean just whatever and she's like you know one of the questions she asked was um characteristics that you see in your child you know you're not going to like all the characteristics of any any child and if you don't recognize them in yourself, will you have an issue with them if yeah. that's ever from the donor? And I was like, I'm not worried about that. 
I'm just worried that I'd be terrified and want to give it back if I can't do the job right. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> problems are much bigger. All right, grand. <laughs> but, um, you know, just the, the day-to-day and, you know, the, the isolation that, like, you hear a lot about in terms of, you know, parenting in general. And just I was so worried about the isolation of being on my own. Pandemic doesn't necessarily help that. But, like, mm-hmm. even just the day-to-day of the, the routine of it all. So there was no... I wasn't, I was, I got through my pregnancy by going day by day as in I was so delighted and I was so grateful for every stage. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, I didn't really think ahead because I couldn't prepare for it anyway. You know, you have to kind of learn on the job, but yeah. like I would still be a little bit of a, you know, a white ruck, white knuckle ride mom. And that like the minute he gets the temperature, my body goes into like, <gasps> Is this it? What is it? Like, I think oh, me I'm, too. I'm always like three minutes away from getting into the car and driving to Grumlin. <laughs> and the same three people that you ring for the same conversation. And you're like, I know the answer to this, but okay, grand, 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 you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, any kind of fears or whatever it was, I just, when, there, when you really do think there is a chance that it might not happen, you know, and I suppose after that, um, that time at the doctors at Christmas, while I was still nervous and kind of cautious in making the decision, I suppose any hesitation dissipated after that because I was like, there's a chance it might not happen. You know, yeah. it's like, no, I just know in, in all of my, my core being, it's what I want and, you know, it's what I need. And I think what I say is like, I, I did know I wanted to be a mom. I just, I actually never knew how much I needed to be a mom beforehand because I was quite broken for quite a while before he came along. And it, it is really hard, um, you know, all, all the way through it. But like, it's just so brilliant. And there's never, you know, and it is really hard. But like, <laughs> as yeah. you know, and there's no disputing that. Um, but it's just brilliant at the same time you know and especially when they get each and when they say the phase is true everything's a phase and it just gets a little bit easier after each phase and you know you do your confidence build and your enjoyment while you're always happy I think it's when you get the enjoyment of it more from the day to day you know when they get they can give back and everything so yeah god you like I barely laugh with with my two-year-old more than I do with anyone else I know (laughs) barely laugh um so so Christmas time you made the decision and then you go and did you you mentioned sperm donor there tell me all about sperm donors and how that works oh the sperm donor so the sperm donor um it is a it is an overwhelming process Mm. it is very I I can describe it like um the old-fashioned plenty of fish dating app (laughs) <laughs> anyone is ever like you know all of the millions of questions and criteria and everything that you have to go <laughs> it's the image of that basically <laughs> so when you go on you kind of you put in all your, your I suppose your vital statistics and your medical history and your blood types and everything like that mm-hmm. and then you go through I suppose you know your selection process of countries of origin nationalities ethnicity height color hair and um, color of eyes and different things like that so and then it basically goes through all of that and serves you you kind of potential matches that suit it so obviously that for the best possible types from both you know your blood type and your medical history and all that yeah. kind of thing and serves it up together so and it sounds very easy when I did it like that but the first time I did it I looked on like I was like oh gosh 
it's very difficult. And um, I, I suppose my friends um, have been with me very much in, in all of the journey, but I didn't want to just ask them, well, I could have just asked them to come over and have a look. But instead, I invited them over for one night and I didn't say what I was inviting them to. And when they arrived, I had bunting made with sperm palooza written on it. <laughs> God, that sounds like my kind of party. <laughs> you know, on a different line. I know that sounds really bad. That doesn't sound like my kind of party. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I, I've been on maternity leave for too long. <laughs> it's the attention to detail that you appreciate. I understand what you were saying. <laughs> god, that's hilarious, though. Yeah. And did they help you? Did you go through yeah. it like that? Yeah, so kind of again, it just took the, the it took the fear out of it. So we went through all the profiles. We kind of went through it and we debated everything, and it served them back. And I didn't go with any of the people that it went through on that, but I suppose I'd gone through the process of it then. Yeah, and I understood it. And then I sat down another time shortly after it, and I did it on my own. And like down to the health histories and like you know all of the grandparents, you know, were no heart history or anything like that. But I went for blue eyes and dark hair because I have blue eyes and dark hair, and you're like you know thinking that you don't want the child to yeah. like, go to someone else. He does have blonde, blue hair, but he has blonde, blonde hair. And yeah. all of the donor's family, extended family, had dark hair. So I have no idea where the blonde hair came from, but you look, we'll take it. Yeah. Oh, take it. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and I definitely like, see pictures of, of the sperm donor in the, that. Yes. And um, the other thing you can't, you do pay extra for is motility. So go for the top shelf and pay a little bit more, you know, but, um, yeah, you see a picture, uh, you can pay to see like a much more detailed profile, but I personally wouldn't have the interest in that. But you see it kind of a little um, portrait picture of age around like three or four. You know, oh, just that's so, nice. Yeah. yeah. And I can't remember who it was, but they there's also kind of an interview piece where it's um, the interviewer's written perspective of the person that they've interviewed, which I liked how he was described. And then they always, um, they give a comparison to, um, a known personality. I can't remember what famous person they compared him to, but he was gorgeous. So I was like, oh, hilarious. And you're like, oh yeah, now I get it. Similar to George Clooney. Yeah, so along those lines, like I'm sure now if you were to see the life for life, but um, but yeah, so tall, dark, blue eyes. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Oh. Um, and so the pregnancy went well. Yeah, that tell was. me about when you find out. Sorry, tell me about when you find right. out you're pregnant first of all, and then the pregnancy. So it was whatever month it was. It was. I remember I had been um, pre-pandemic and, and all the rest of it. I was in a choir. I am um, in a choir of the lineup, and we had been singing um, as part of this fringe festival show the night before in the national stadium, and there was a really emotive like anthem song as part of it is we're not giving up yet we're not giving up just yet and it was so beautiful and I feel like before I was singing that and I was like every time I was was on it like I was trying not to you know have a tear in my eye and I was singing it at that night and not the following night and then the last night so I went home from that and friends had all asked me you know if I did it did, did they want I was due to do it the next day and so first of all they the clinic asked you to um, to wait 16 days to to do a test and mm-hmm. um, ensure it probably to let nature take its course you know if it maybe hasn't worked the extra two days sure. you know, I'm, ex- I'm an extremely impatient person 
And it still baffles me to this day that I didn't have a single, um, a single, what's the word? I, I didn't at any stage do a test um, sooner than that. I didn't kind of jump the gun on it. So okay. it, was, it was amazing patience for me. But I was like, no. And literally I was watching the app and, you know, every time it describes something and that you have, they're like, it could be pregnancy or it could be that you're not. And you're like, cool. Thanks. Great. <laughs> Brilliant. It's one or the other, isn't it? <laughs> so I waited till day 16 and I was like, oh, my God, I really think I might. Went to bed. And I woke up at half two and I was like, no, half two is too early in the morning for this crack. (laughs) (laughs) Even I know that. So I went back to bed and at half four, I woke up, I did the test and it was positive. And it was so gorgeous. And I just sat in my bed and I had a lovely little tear. And I was, and I would have been the type of person, and I can be, that needed a lot of people around me, like, you know, a little bit needy like that. But it was the start of the journey of really enjoying to do it on my own. I loved that I was just me and it was just our moment. And I had a lovely tear and I did a snapshot and I sent it out to all of the friends because I don't have that much (laughs) (laughs) self-control. And then um, I went back to sleep and I just, I just remember I was like, that's it. This is it. We have it. Here we go. It was just, okay, keep the head, which you probably didn't do. And just, it was just amazing. It was just that little, those two lines. And I was like, happy days, one day at a time. And I just, I could believe it because I really felt, I was like, I think it has worked. I think it has worked. But then the practical side of me going like, you know, it's a wing, a wing and a prayer, you know, at the same time. So it was just glorious. Oh, I yeah. feel, I can feel the emotion in your voice. Even yeah, I know. About it. yeah, I know. I just, and I know I'll never have that again. And I'm fine. I actually, I don't want to. And I suppose when I had Frank, I was like, would I want another baby? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm fine. It's like, it, and it was, I was more relieved and happy to be genuine and like, this is my lot and that's all I need, you know? And I think I just, I just felt instantly content from the whole process and the contentness kind of continued through my whole pregnancy. So like, you could have, um, my, where, where I worked, I, I work in Vodafone Ireland and, you know, they were hugely supportive. So even throughout my whole treatment and, um, and even like in the management of it, like I really got to enjoy the pregnancy, you know, I didn't have to worry about any moment and just the contentness that settled in and brought me through every day. And while there's highs and lows of the pandemic could have thrown anything at me and I would have been like, scratch. <laughs> you had your miracle and you were happy out yeah exactly and I just had all the naps which yeah. was amazing all the naps lying oh. down and it was relatively it was relatively an easy pregnancy in that well was it I yeah it was relatively from a health perspective it was easy and um, he was in which I had named him beforehand he was in the frank breach position which I didn't know it was the thing um so he was born by planned section which I'm thoroughly delighted about I would have found I would have found the vulnerability of a, a natural labor very difficult to 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 lean into okay. um, and and with the exception of like a couple of instances along the way where you kind of get your stabilizers on with getting used to the having to say you're you're doing it on your own it, it was perfect you know um and then he arrived on the 20th of May 
Mm-hmm. Keep saying the 20 seconds away. 20 the May because of the 2020 year and losing these two years. <laughs> sure, we, we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Blur. Yeah. So you then went into like three months into the pandemic into solo yeah. motherhood. That must have been quite intense, especially those first two months, I can imagine. Yeah, it was. Um, and I had, because initially when I made the decision, I had planned, my mom lives in Donegal. Um, um, I was like, I'll move her down for a few months. I'll have, you know, the live-in support. And then, sure, that all went up in the air. You know, we obviously, we forget how terrified we were back then in terms of what to do and what you could do and couldn't do. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was really hard going. Mm. Um, Like, you're trying to think back that just the, the, the relentlessness of it. Um, I did, my mom was able to come down a couple of times to visit. And, you know, my sister did come, I think maybe once a week for the first five weeks. And she just kind of stayed and mm. did like a few feeds. But it's it's hard going. Um, and as amazing and everything as it was, you're kind of like, it's a blur now when you think back. But we did a lot of walking. And I remember, I know after three weeks, once kind of we felt a little bit set up, I had um, a calendar you know, like a day calendar. And I just had to have somebody in the calendar every day, whether it was some sort of outdoor visit or walk, because while getting through the day to day, I didn't have the live-in person. So you had to have that human contact. But Mm -hmm. I suppose it's exhausting in itself, you know, in that like you didn't have, I didn't have people just able to come over and my friend sit in a room and hold the baby and have a break. Everything was so yeah you know considered and organized and everything so it was it was hard going um I do know the hardest part probably or not the hardest part but when the recognition of when I was coming towards the end of my maternity leave at that stage I was like he was he was nine months old and I probably would have been kind of close to like a break point then I was like I he has to go to crash because I can't do this 24 seven, like the relentlessness of it, you know? And I think there were testing times like that along the way, but where to be fair, I'm able to recognize them. And if I, if I get to that, I'm like, I need to call in the troops, you know, whether it's someone needs to come down for a weekend, you know, I took two weeks sick week, sick leave off work to myself when he went into crash to kind of recalibrate. But I don't think I really, I didn't, I underestimated how difficult the going back to work process is, you know, and I think that was probably one of the hardest bits of the pandemic from going, not getting to go back to work. And so, uh, you know, um, maternity leave of, you know, kind of controlled isolation at home in terms of trying to get out and about, you know, as a single parent and a solo parent and making sure you have the social contacts that you need to get you through the day and all of that kind of stuff mm. but then going back to working just from your desk was a different kind of isolation you know and mm. it, and in a great way like I I wasn't under pressure I was able to ease myself back into work and if he was sick you know I wasn't you know under pressure in terms of having to deliver and, and that part of it was great but it was that was a loneliness part when you don't have yeah you know it's you don't have the the joy part of the human contact in easing you back in you know so they're kind of, they're they are the challenging bits and you know while I didn't have while I don't have people in the house all the time I do have an amazing group of friends who you know were on the phone 
all of the time through all of the anxieties and all of the everything and still are you know which are you know between my family and friends uh, would be my lifeline you know that I would need to get through because like all parenting is is hard and it's challenging and um, mm. I, I suppose I didn't think it wasn't going to be you know I, I, I didn't kind of have any rose tinted glasses on and um, that it was going to be you know a walk in the park or anything like that it's not as hard as I feared it would be you know and like it's a or a not, it's not as much of a hardship you know and like I'm I'm better at it than I thought I would be you know so from that side but you just have to it's like who's your village who can you call on and you know knowing when you need to yeah yeah and you know like I can only relate as, as someone who does have a partner but I I need a bloody village too like yeah. I can't you know I can't imagine um I also I I imagine there's some positives to 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 solo parenting as well. Is that the kind of term that you're happy with, by the way? Solo parenting. Yeah, I think single parenting has negative connotations to me just yeah. because I grew up in the eighties and when single parent as a single parent family when it wasn't kind yeah. of thing. So I don't know. I I've I've just gone with the solo parenting thing. I've um seen it in books. It kind of just feels a little bit more, I suppose um considered more so you know because I did I did choose that for yeah. myself um but there's def there's definitely positives yeah you know and like there's a there's a definitely a, um a, there's beauty in especially over the last two years that all I have to consider is me and Frank mm-hmm. and how to keep us happy and how to make him happy sorry <laughs> Um, and it, it is a true um, privilege to be able to have that connection. And I think like when I, and I'm sure everyone parents say, when I drop him to crash in the morning, he has the biggest smile. And when I pick him up in the afternoon, he has the biggest smile and he is a really happy, he's a cautious baby, but he's really happy and he's really content and I'm really happy and I'm really content and uh, to be able to have enjoyed that process before anybody else, I'm sure, will join our lives. We're very privileged to have been able to have that experience, just the two of us. And it is, it is, it's great. It, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful experience. It might be hard, but it really is a wonderful experience. And the making of me as a, as a person in terms of contentness and happiness and, you know, and all of, all of that kind of jazz and, you know, great to feel like it's just the the beginning of of everything else that's starting now. You know, and and it's all to play for, and it's a wonderful life that we can build. And everything's opening up now again, and he's just that bit bigger. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, and you know, I think your attitude and your positivity and your just listening to you you are such an inspiration like I just think it's so it's so special the relationship that you clearly have I think he is just you know I I, I'm not, I don't say this about all babies he is just so gorgeous you just want to eat him um, you're doing clearly a really really good job oh thank you so much very adorable little little guy um and it's, you know, it's so, it's so special to hear you talk in such a moving way, in such a positive, great way, you know, for all those women out there who might be wanting to go down the path you've gone down and thinking it's terrifying. And, you know, yeah. 
divorce is terrifying. Motherhood is terrifying. And <laughs> full and, stop. Edge off. Yeah, all of it's yeah. terrifying. Life's terrifying for God. Yeah. But uh, you know, to to look at you and look at everything you've done is is and to look at how happy and lovely it all is. And obviously it all has its bad bits too, but yeah. it's uh it's it's such it's such a nice story for women to hear, I think, you know. Thank um you so much. have you thought about telling Frank or like have you told him or or oh, so we, have, we of... have a book we have oh, a book. Well, like initially, book. initially I was like I'm gonna write a book on how to tell him and then I was like oh there's loads there I might just buy one <laughs> <laughs> a bit easier <laughs> yeah, yeah and he's kind of moved past it now but for a while there it's it's it is a book that tells the story of a solo mom and you know Mom wanted a baby to love and have to love and have and take after, but um she knew she couldn't make a baby on her own and she was going to need some help. So she went to the doctor Perfect. and there, you know, um, and then goes through you need you need an egg from a woman and a sperm from a man, and there's donors that give some of their seeds, and the seeds, not sperms, you know, to help people like mom to have babies. And we we worked and it was the happiest day ever. And there's lots of different types of families, and I'm so proud. I'm so happy, grateful for everyone who helped me and so proud of the family we've made. And so I think for a good, you know, three, three, four months, he picked that off the shelf himself. And it was one of our bedtime stories that we would go through. Yeah. And that really kind of helped me in simple in, in terms, yeah, in terms of the narrative, in terms of what to say. So it's between that and I also have sometimes a case of like solo mom Tourette's. <laughs> like you're in the middle of a conversation or something, or people don't know you or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, how do I myself? <laughs> I get that though <laughs> you refine the conversation then as you go and different times <laughs> the first six months in the playground was gas I feel like it's your <laughs> so like I've that's how I started to tell it now and I'll continue to sell it but I'll, I'll figure it out you know has how I go along and like one of the things of where I ended up moving to I chose he's in the middle of like a million educate together schools because yeah. I was okay that would really help yeah 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 <laughs> they're great schools yeah approach to diversity and inclusion and you know I think but even in terms of like groups of friends of mine like you know um two guys who I know are married who they're they're going through their own baby journeys and you know different things I think by the time you know Frank is of an age where that type of thing is in conversation we will have an extended circle of of people who who whose whose families do all look different you know and they won't all all be the same so I think you know you just live your life as you want it to be and and hopefully that was it is but that's how we have the conversation so far well I I um I myself was actually adopted and I had a book oh, and brilliant. I used to go into preschool and tell everybody that I was really special because yeah. I was really wanted and yeah. you guys are not as special as me. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, and but the conversation did just yeah. evolve naturally and, and, yeah. and it's amazing you know I think once yeah. you like kids are so smart you know yeah. and once you actually boil it down it is simple and it's not yeah. it doesn't have to be complicated things that adults make it you know exactly which is which is really nice mm-hmm. um and and Claudia tell me um I know I'm sure you've you've kind of had this question all the time but for people who want to take your path and who are kind mm-hmm. of considering it are there any bits of advice kind of any words of sage wisdom that you would give them like I would say go and 
you know, first things first, get your fertility NCT, go in and get all the tests and get the big picture of it. Because, you know, you might decide and, and all of the different treatment option, options available. So like I probably, and because of my solo parent and um, family upbringing, I probably considered this millions of years ago. And I just think like the likes of, um, there's conversation about egg freezing your eggs, but there isn't com- much conversation about, about um, embryo freezing. So, you know, someone who's in their late thirties who hasn't met somebody, but really isn't in the right place of mind, you know, look into the options, look into where you're sitting at it. Cause maybe embryo freezing is a much better option and gives you three or four years to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, take a little minute and take a step back and consider things. So just, I suppose, step one, I'd say go to a fertility clinic, get the big picture and research all of the options that are available to you. And it will help take the terror out of what's um, ahead, whether it's a decision, whether it's a case of you decide to do something now or wait. What it will do is when you do, when you are, if you come to the time when you are ready to do it, you'll know what's the path for you and you won't be starting from scratch. You're kind of, you know, normalized it if anything for yourself until then yeah and then you know outside of that like for for me it was just about the practicalities of it all you know do we have a place to live who's our support structure you know if you if you have a mom who's around the corner you know who's really going to be involved that's huge do you know what I mean you just need you need less than you think you need but what you do need you need to be very vocal about and controlled. And what I've learned in the last two years is ambiguity is not my friend. This is what you say what you need. And if someone isn't able to provide that, that's fine. And you can just move on from it and just be really clear. But you don't actually need as much help as you think, but it just needs to be the right kind of help that's individual to you. And that's what I would say. Mm. And then just do it because it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's good advice for for anybody, actually. Um, I think that's a really nice place to leave it as well, although I really could sit here. (laughs) I'd quite like to just keep chatting. Just continue it with the little play date with the boys. And Uh, now that the restrictions are left, we can like hang out and have big play date parties in the yeah, yeah. they can climb all over each other and live yeah, together in yeah, their own mind yeah, amazing we'll bring our antigen test <laughs> yeah, the newest coolest accessory yeah. um but thank you so much claude it really has been an absolute joy to talk to you what a hugely inspirational woman and what a hugely inspirational story now my next guest is mary mcauliffe our expert this week who's going to get through as many of your questions as possible. Mary is the head of clinical services at Waterstone Clinic, a general nurse and a midwife. She's also a founding member of the Fertility Specialist Nursing Team at Waterstone Clinic. Mary, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. You have worked with countless mothers who've set out on this path and you've described it as empowering and joyful, which I just love, especially on the topic of solo motherhood, which we're talking about today. We've had quite a few questions, I have to say, but they really all boil down to how much does it cost? How do I start? And am I mad to want to do it? Which I think is an interesting question. What would you kind of say to to someone who's thinking those things? 
Well, I suppose there, there are things that go through people's heads and it's a huge decision to make. Um, and it's not a decision that anybody comes to lightly. And often when I talk to uh, women looking at these considerations, uh, it's something they've probably considered and thought about for quite a long period of time mm-hmm. before they made contact with a fertility clinic. Um, and I suppose the first thing I'd say is, you know, people do say, am I mad? Is it crazy? Will I be able to do this? Uh, is it the right thing to do? Um, and realistically, you know, it's whatever is good for you and for your life and to realize your, your life streams. And there's nothing, you know, crazy about doing it. There's nothing mad about doing it. And I think sometimes like with all fertility journeys, there's a certain, um, I suppose, aloneness to it at times. You know, sometimes you read things on the media or you pick up a magazine, but you don't know of real people that have might w- went down this journey before you. And some people can be very, very private about their fertility journey. Um, and it can leave, obviously, others feeling that vulnerability and feeling like they, they're the only person they know taking this step. But from the point of view of someone that works in a fertility clinic, you know, we see people seeking um, assistance all of the time. You know, we get a number of phone calls from ladies every day um, looking at, you know, kind of investigating this route and, and, and following their, their dreams. And I think in life, you need to follow your dreams. You don't want to have a regret. And if you're thinking about having and building your family in whatever way you choose to do it, um, you're doing that realistically out of love and desire to, to, to share that love with other people. And there can't be anything wrong with that, because at the end of the day, what children need most um, in their life is love um, and, you know, somebody that they have that bond with. Um, so I never think it's mad. And I always think, you know, if it's going through your mind and if you're listening to this right now, be proactive, pick up the phone today or tomorrow and make a phone call to a fertility clinic and take that first step and have your assessment. You're not committing to anything by having an assessment. It's just a one step towards getting nearer to what might work for you and getting more information. Yeah, and knowledge is power with all of this, isn't it? I think in our um, chat we just had with Cloda O'Hagan, the one thing she said is that she found herself sticking her head in the sand for for such a long time, for years and years and years. And um, she got to the point then where she was kind of, her hand was forced after some blood test results. Um, But I think, like you've said, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to necessarily commit to anything. You, you can go and just get the information so you know where you stand. I think that's really, really important not to be frightened as well, you know. And I think that's the most, it is really, I mean, the most important thing. Um, and I can't overemphasize it when we're having this conversation today because I think from talking to people on the phone, there's some link in our heads between making a move towards seeking assistance or seeking just assessment realistically and information and feeling like we're signing up to something or we've made that decision already. Um, And that's not in reality what what it needs to be like. We see, you know, numerous people every week going through our clinic sites that are looking just for assessment to Mm. see where they're at. You don't know what's going to be advised to you. You don't know how your fertility is right now. Um, And for many people, they're trying to guesstimate what it is they need trying to guess when is the best time to do it and there's a void of information there when they're making those decisions so I would say to anybody you know take the first step 
get your information, book an appointment and commit to the appointment. And that appointment will arm you with a lot of uh, beneficial information because you'll do some fertility testing before the appointment. You'll have a scan to see how active your ovaries are. You can discuss your history, your family history and pull it all together with speaking to a fertility specialist. And then by doing that, your fertility specialist can talk through what might be the best um, you know, root for you right now, you will get information on all of your options. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have time to sit back and go through that information. And at our clinics, we always write everything down that we've spoken to with the lady at the appointment so that you can kind of sit at home, maybe at a weekend or, you know, in a few weeks later, whenever you, you, you know, you feel ready to go back over that information again, in order to decision make. And I, well, I think what's really interesting um, is even from myself in researching this, um, I think people are worried that they'll go and it's a black and white answer. Whereas the, the amount of different routes that can be taken is quite astonishing. There is so many options available for everything. You know, it's not just, you know, either you can have a baby or you can't and, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it. There is so much information. So it's good to know that, you know, you can look at all the different routes and take your time and, and, and think about everything that's available. And there's always options, you know, mm-hmm. like when you're making contact with a fertility centre and you're asking about, um, maybe egg freeze or solar motherhood you know when you're making that contact we know from working with um, you know multiple people before you um, that it's not one thing it's not you know you're coming in maybe with the you know one thing in your mind that this is what you're going to do but you know what's in your head that you might want to do you might be almost blocking out the other options so there's always options and there's no black and white with the human body. And indeed, people build their families in all kinds of different ways. Um, and that's important. I think the one thing that does happen in all areas of fertility, again, regardless of who's entering them, is that the, the people tend to spend a long time procrastinating and trying to preempt what it is that they may require um, and have a belief that when I do go to fertility clinic, I'm going for pretend IVF or whatever it might be um, and they're not thinking of you know the first step is assessment and seeing you know where I'm at right now in my fertility and what might be best path or what might be give me the best chance of success for me to have my baby either now or into the future. And there's a lot of misinformation actually out there. You know, if you were sitting down and Google, Dr. Google, like we all do occasionally, it's uh, there is a lot of misinformation and a lot of, I think, even um, between friends kind of chat that's not necessarily correct either. So, you know, you really do need the experts yeah. um, to look at you and then to tell you, tell you specifically tailor to you what your options are. Mary, can we talk, the, the uh, one question that came in a good few times was cost. I think it puts a lot of people off. Um, I know, obviously, because there's so many different options, there's so many different costs, um, you know, and so many different levels of cost available. Um, but what are you kind of basically talking, I suppose, if you're talking about um, solo motherhood that we're talking about specifically today? Okay. Um, the first thing I'd say is your first assessment, that first visit where you get your, your options relayed to you and have your scan and, and go away with, with a plan and information. That's 250 euros, including your scan. And I suppose that is what I'd be suggesting to people. The first thing I'd say is 
budget for that and come and have that, even if it's totally separate to having to plan and budget for the next step. Because again, we hear lots of people planning budgeting saving for IVF when they may not need IVF at all. Um, Or, you know, planning and budgeting and saving for three years before they come for assessment and you've lost three years when they may, may something simpler may have worked. And then if if you choose then to go down the route of um, single motherhood, um, realistically, donor sperm can be quite expensive. So it is it is a journey. Um, but at the end of the day, I suppose you're looking at building your family and having your baby. Um, so, for example, one straw of donor sperm costs approximately 900 euro. And one straw really equals one attempt at a pregnancy. Okay. So when we're talking to um, ladies, we normally would suggest that they consider buying a number of straws. You know, once they choose their donor, choose the right donor for them um, and they can look at profiles and they'll be assisted through that process. We have um, a fertility uh, team here that works uh, just with uh, choosing a donor sperm and talking through the possibilities in relation to that. Mm. So if somebody made contact with the clinic looking to uh, do solar motherhood, then they would make contact with um, the donor sperm coordination team and they would talk them through looking at the sites and looking at maybe having a little bit of time over choosing a donor and then coming back to their specialists in that area to, um, to have a look at the donor with them. And uh, we would always suggest to, if you're ordering in donor sperm, to order a number of strokes just to give you a chance at having a few attempts at treatment if you need them or perhaps building a family you know if it's the thing that you have a baby from first cycle perhaps you might like to add to that family with the same donor um, you know a year or two or more down the road so it's always good to have that little plan in the back of your mind I think and to be to be ready for it and then once you're assessed it'll point you in the direction of what treatment should follow afterwards so now you have your eggs you have your sperm um, and you're looking at okay, what will give you my best chance of baby. The majority of women that would come through the, our clinics would be um, having their babies from a treatment called intrauterine insemination um, is where the, the semen sample is, is thawed and um, popped up into the woman's um, uterus on her most fertile day. Mm-hmm. And that um, process is 900 euros per attempt um, and it's a quite successful treatment um, for some depending on their age and depending on their ovarian reserve and hormone levels um, occasionally they may need to choose the option of IVF and then IVF obviously is more and more expensive process and that's 5,000 euros for a cycle of IVF. Big jump up. It is and I suppose the thing that I would say is that you know the figures look, you know, large when you look at 5,000 euros and 900 euros. But um, and sometimes, you know, when you're looking at those huge costs and you're trying to save towards them, um, you can lose sight of your, your end goal is, is to get to baby. Um, and that's the most important thing. Um, and I think that's the, the, the why it's so important to have that first step and assessment as soon as you go this direction you know, spend the 250 and get advice is my best advice. Um, And then after that, you know, plan towards uh, take a little bit of time over considering what's right for you. Um, And you'll have more information than maybe to talk to friends about or um, we have a counsellor that works with us and the counsellor is very, very good for, you know, assisting around making the right decision um, and being happy with your decision going forward. And she's free of charge to, um, to people as they come through 
um, all kinds of treatments. So that's always a good place to to start once you have your information. Essential to look after your mental health throughout the process as well. Our our, our guest today, Claudia, spoke about that and 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 the counsellor that she spoke to, um, and she also spoke about the der- uh, sperm donor selection. Um, she had a, a party in her house called Sperm Palooza where all the friends came over <laughs> and had their pick, which I thought was wonderful. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. 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 Um, Claudia had a, a treatment follicle stimulation, so she had a sperm donor and um. Is that right? Follicle? Yes. Yeah. And how much would that cost? Is that a separate? That is actually part of um, both IUI and IVF. Okay. So you can do whichever um, with. So regardless of which treatment you do, you should actually, um, you will require follicle stimulation. So, so Cloda did a process called IUI intrauterine insemination. And when I was talking about earlier, so part of that process actually is taking very, very low dosages of follicle stimulating hormone. So it's a hormone that your own body produces in the first part of your cycle to help make a follicle grow. And the follicle is a bubble of fluid that contains an egg. So that hormone builds the egg in the first half of the cycle leading to ovulation. And when you're doing intrauterine insemination, you're trying to do it because it's it's 900 euros of treatment, you're doing everything it possibly can to make that treatment as successful as possible. Mm. And we know that people that do IUI with using small doses of, of um, follicle stimulating hormone, um, you know, have a better chance of becoming pregnant in treatment because their hormone level is that bit higher. Mm. Um, the other thing is from time to time, you can grow maybe two eggs instead of one in that cycle, which again, increases your chance of success, but it marginally increases your chance of having a twin pregnancy in the cycle. Mm. But mm. the majority of people that have two follicles or two eggs have one baby for treatment. Um, but yeah, we do, we use follicle stimulating hormones and do um, follicle uh, stimulation as part of intrauterine insemination. So the, the whole treatment, once you know, would you have your donor um, selected and it arrives on site? Um, it's approximately two scan visits after that to your fertility center and then your actual uh, day where your sperm is prepared and put high up in your vagina. And that feels for you a little bit like a smear test. Um, so it's quite a straightforward procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in and out of the fertility center in, you know, maybe 30 minutes um, mm-hmm. and you can. Yeah, it's 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 magic, really. The human body is magic. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. amazing. And, and I suppose that is why there's no black and white, because there's an element of, you know, magic um, to it all, uh, the way our bodies react and work. Yeah. Um, so you have you have the 900 euro for the sperm donor, 900 euro for the um, IUI. And then talk to me about um, the benefits of freezing an embryo. Could you would that involve actually putting your egg with the sperm donor and keeping that? Is, it is would. That yeah. so, so that's it is very beneficial. It's a slightly different path. So to freeze an embryo, you, you do need to do IVF. So, you know, so okay. it's an IVF process. So realistically, if somebody walks in the door here and, you know, wants to look at their options, they're, you know, a, a single woman looking to see, OK, what are my options now? Um, and if they're not quite ready to go down the route of being pregnant right now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they may look at options like, let's say, freezing eggs for use later or freezing embryos for use later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And both of those processes involve doing a cycle of IVF. So both of them involve, you know, taking medication, um, having a number of scans that leads into um, an egg collection procedure that's yeah. done under sedation and then go on to fertilize those eggs with the sperm, grow them out for five or six days and freeze them in, in the laboratory. And you can leave them frozen. And, um, for quite a period of time and then if you were to come back and use those embryos later it's a much simpler process of becoming pregnant and you have a much higher chance of becoming pregnant with those embryos because you know that the the egg fertilized um, not all of the eggs will fertilize and that is normal okay um, so we'll say you know it's we like if somebody's freezing eggs to to try and freeze you know 15 or more um, eggs if they're doing just eggs Embryos isn't the answer for everybody. Um, So we would hear different, I suppose, different people would look at it differently. Some people feel I just want to freeze my eggs because I want to. If I do meet somebody into the future, I would like to be able to fertilize my eggs with um, my partner's sperm. Mm -hmm. Um, And others might feel, look, uh, I really want to freeze embryos because I want to know that I have a better chance of pregnancy later mm-hmm. uh, with my embryos and right. I'm happy to become pregnant with donor sperm, but it's just not the right time for me right now. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on where your head is at in relation to um, your thought process. So some people come to us and they've always wanted to have their family and they've always thought about um, solo motherhood and uh, having the, building their family in that way. And others might come to us because they were always hoping to meet somebody and hasn't right, met that right person yet. Yeah. But they just want to leave that option open to them so to just freeze their eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking at freezing your eggs, obviously it's um, something where you need numbers in order to feel that you have some form of a chance of yeah. having a baby from those eggs later. And then a lot of it, Dominique, to be honest, is based on that assessment because when you come into the assessment, if your fertility you know, if you're a little bit older or if your fertility isn't as good as you'd like it to be or the fertility team would like it to be, they will actually, um, you know, talk you through, they'll talk you through all the options anyway. But if you're perhaps, um, you know, younger, in your early 30s, have a good ovarian reserve and where egg freezing would be deemed to be very successful for you, um, then it's not a bad plan. And um, while we always say, you know, if you're open to becoming pregnant right now, that's always your best chance of having your family is, is going for it right now. Um, but if you're not in the position to do that right now, um, and if it's not what is good for you and for your life, then egg freeze isn't a bad idea. But perhaps if you come looking for egg freeze and your ovarian reserve is a little bit disappointing, you're not as good as you hope for it to be, then embryo freezing may be a better option because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a smaller number of eggs, at least you'll know how many of those eggs actually fertilized, how many of them grew out to day five, because there's always a loss from egg numbers to fertilization to growth and division and the ones that you have left to freeze. But the ones you'll freeze are the best quality and yeah. you have a very good chance of success with them if you were to come back and throw one of your embryos. So you, it's more bankable, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about egg freezing in more detail um, in, in, a, in an episode, um, I think, next week. So uh, there's okay. a wealth of information. There's so much information. I think the takeaway really is that there are so many options for you, you know, whatever your situation is physically, 
emotionally where you are in your life you know all the different areas there there are options mm. which is a really hopeful uh, a positive um message I think to leave it on actually today yeah um, absolutely and you know it's just I suppose have your assessment be proactive yeah. um and you know don't be frightened that you know your situation is uh, very different and you know that we'll be you know ask anything you want to ask it's it's totally open we'll, we'll answer everything honestly and truthfully um and give you the information you need in order to make the best decision for you yeah thank you so much mary i think that that is a great place for us to leave it today um so thank you so much for the sage advice like i said you're an absolute wealth of information uh, and thank you of course to waterstone clinic our partners in this podcast we'll be back next week but until then take care of yourselves Thank you.